0: The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.
1: I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming in Your Health. I'm Sharon Kleiner. I have been studying water and health and the environment for thirty years of my life and found that the power of water is life is on earth it could make it or break it it can also bring earth to distinction and we don't want to do that we all have a responsibility of better understanding of our environment our ecosystem and i truly believe that the person of the year will always be each person and that precious moment that you are given to live here on earth and in hope, heaven I believe that on this Earth, it's growing. The planet will grow. Did you know, as of July 2008, the population is at 6.684 million, 6.684 million, growing in 100 years for the generations to come, which is our responsibility today, to pay it forward. Take care of our ecosystem, our lives on this earth. Learn more about our health. There will be 12 billion more people. Now, the importance of this show is 1.1 billion people in developing countries do not have access to safe water. And that means safe sanitation. Just flushing the toilets and washing your hands as you've been learning. Wash your hands you will not have the water in time if we're not careful and watching and caring for the future an ecosystem plan the earth is changing but it's been changing since the beginning of time and the reason the show is so important to myself and to so many listening is kind of reminding us yes, this is easy listening this is easy listening this is almost therapy to listen to reminding ourselves that we will have generations to come that need the water and what are the symptoms today drowsiness that's dehydration burning itching drowsy uh, blurring eyes that is a dehydration congestion allergies lungs full of congestion symptoms of flu viruses and more dehydration. You've got to drink lots of water. Water is the key to your life and future generations to come. 3% of the world's water is fresh, but only, and that's fresh water, not ocean water, only 3%, but only 1% is usable. Now let's take it serious. We have very special guests coming on each and every week to remind us again of many things that are very familiar to us, that we haven't learned enough about, and this is easy listening again. Listen and learn in this classroom that we're offering. Today, we have Dr. Lori Barber from Little Rock, Arkansas. Lori is a professor of ophthalmology at the University of Arkansas Medical, and Medical Sciences. Uh, I'm really excited about having Dr. Barber on today because she's going to be discussing dry eye, and as many of you know, That's one of my favorite subjects. I truly believe in my studies and evaluation that your eyes, the moment you were born and you entered in the air you breathe from that water bag of your mother's, you begin a dehydration. The eyelid opened and the eye organ is not covered by the skin when the eyelid is open. The air is dry. You're dry. The eyes, you need better education. Dr. Barber will teach us a lot about women, menopause, men have menopause too, and what we can do about dry eye. Our second guest is coming back again. Rebecca Jones is in Boulder City, Nevada. She's the head park ranger for at Lake Mead, and she's going to teach us more about uh, uh, coagulant muscle that is becoming, we hopefully not extinct, in the streets. We're going to listen to our sponsor Nature's Tears Eye Mist for Dry Eye, and we'll be right back with Dr. Barber.
0: Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. where the world comes to talk
1: Dr. Barber? Yes. Well, hello. I'm sitting in Manhattan today and, how, and you're sitting in Arkansas?
2: Little Rock, Arkansas.
1: Okay, I have been there. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, what, what took, how did your interest get into ophthalmology?
2: Well, I've, I've always been intrigued by people's eyes. Um, my father was a family practitioner, so I was grew up thinking I was going to be a nurse until he took me aside and said women can be doctors too. So I did um, start looking at medical field at that point, always going back to my love for the eyes. So I ended up in ophthalmology. It's kind of a primary care for one organ of the body um, where you can deal with people of all ages. You can do surgery. Right and primary care, so... I've A very
1: vital organ of the body. <laughs> no, I'm convinced um, many years ago when I'd been studying the skin organ and I felt I found that to be the most vital organ of the body. And then when ophthalmologists, refractive eye surgeons brought to my attention and research many years ago that uh, the eyes are so dry, it's the worst complaint of every doctor all over the world, and what can we do to replace the nature of the dryness? In other words, the air is dry, the eyes become dry. You need to replace the nature of the symptom before you do anything else. And I found, doctor, that when that eyelid is open, the organ has no skin over it at that moment. So you're more, we're more susceptible to all the things that are going on in the air at that second. And we've got to have our eyes open to have our vision, our eyesight. Well, tell us more. You got involved in ophthalmology, and then you chose. To, did you choose to specialize in?
2: Um, I actually do comprehensive ophthalmology, but I over the past ten years have um, done some focusing on dry eyes, um, mm-hmm. other problems with the ocular surface, and inflammation of the ocular surface. Mm-hmm. So um, that's been my focus over the past ten years, along with my area of study. The, you know, what you say about dry eye is very interesting. Um, it's true that we don't have a skin per se over the eye when our eyelids are open, but we do have um, cornea, which is a clear portion of the eyeball overlying your iris, which in my eye is blue. Other people may have brown or green iris. Um, and overlying that, we actually have a tear film. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's a, a tear film is because we were created amazingly um, such that we ha- always have fluid over our eyelid, uh, eye, our eyeballs if we're healthy. And if the tear film remains healthy, our eyes can remain healthy with our eyelids blinking on occasion in order to distribute the tear film property, properly. But the cool thing about the tear film is that it's not just, you know, H2O. It's, it's salt water with a whole lot of other things in it. It has... Um, growth factor in it, it has antibiotic qualities to it, it has um, proteins and 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 you know, health food for the cornea epithelium. And it has three layers. Um it does you want to sense. tell us what the
1: three layers are because when a person individuals throughout the United States and the world doctor don't have never heard from their doctors the description very commonly, even if they go to the doctor a lot, the description of a tear film on
2: the eye. Um, could you explain the tear film and the layers? Um, the way we were taught back when I was a resident, which was several years ago, is that it has only three layers, but it, um, specialists such as Dr. Mike Stern and Dr. Steve Flugfelder and others have found that there's actually a layer of fat on the top which prevents evaporation. And the rest of the layers are kind of intermixed. We've always been taught that if there's aqueous or water and then mucin right up against the eyeball and the mucin is developed from the conjunctiva, or the white part of the eye, there's little cells called goblet cells, and their whole job in life is to squirt little globs of mucin onto the surface of the eye, over the cornea, and over the white part of the eye as well, to make it more comfortable, to give decrease the shear factor, you know, when the, when the lids blink over it. And then the aqueous provides, as I said, the growth factors, the antibiotic qualities, and um, other healthy factors for the eyeball. And then the fat rises to the surface, is um, sent out from little glands in the eyelids, and just as it does with salad dressing, for instance. You know, if you don't shake the salad dressing, the fat will rise to the surface. It prevents the evaporation of the aqueous and mucin layers. So it's a pretty phenomenal... And the, the word
1: prevent is almost interesting today uh, because so many people are complaining about the description. Uh, they don't call it always dry eye because they're all confused. Doctor. So many people are confused about the description of a dry eye. They think you have to have the burning and the itching to have a dry eye, but when the eyelid is open and you're facing the earth as it's changing, with indoor conditions of insulated windows and walls and forced air heating and cooling and all the chemistry in fabrics and bedding and paints and, and, and artificial lighting and more, uh, people are not realizing that no two people are being affected by the dry eye the same. Now, when you say um, evaporation, what would our listeners think of when the tear film Everybody has the same nature to the tear film, but different people are having different complaints of the dry eye uh, uh, symptoms. What are some of the symptoms that you have found that people, let's just start most commonly, are complaining about?
2: Well, I think that um, most children, teenagers, and young adults probably don't have any complaints of dry eye because they probably have a fairly healthy tear film, you know, with blinking and with. Um, their tear film is able to cleanse the eye when it needs to be cleansed and, and keep it healthy but as we get older especially women but men as well as we get older we lose um, some of the ability to keep a healthy tear film and some of the way we lose that in women we think and in men as well is that our androgens actually go down along with our estrogens or our male hormones that women have as well decrease over time. And they think that the male hormone is probably supportive of the glands and the lids that um, allow us to have healthier tears. So what we hear from patients is that their um, eyes may be burning, they may be itching, but more than anything probably burning, irritated red, um, blurring of vision can happen if their tears are not healthy because the tear film actually provides a large part of the refractive surface for the globe so if your tear film isn't properly overlying your cornea or the epithelium of your cornea then you can have blurring of vision so as things and then of course breath- it would not be causing drowsiness and to where your
1: almost your eyelids want to keep this sl- uh, closing more commonly and you're having a hard
2: time focusing and you might be getting more blurry. I've heard people say eye fatigue. You know, if they're you at the computer and if you don't remember to blink frequently enough or if you don't take a few visual breaks over the hour that you're just sitting there staring, um, mm-hmm. your eye can dry quicker. So they complain of eye fatigue. Now, you mentioned teenagers, and we'll go from teenagers up to growth of life.
1: Uh, when do you think it's too early to wear contact lenses? Because the teenagers are really complaining of dry eyes. I had
2: um, a. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say what I tell my parents if they're sitting in the room with their teenagers is I, I'll actually look at the teenager and ask them if they help around the house, do they help with the dishes, are they is their room kept clean, you know, do they remember to brush their teeth by themselves, and, and mm-hmm. because the parents are hearing that at the same time and if they're shaking their head, well, I know that teenager is not ready to wear contacts. Because the teenager mm-hmm. has to be the one to keep them clean. I think- oh, I see. What your your focus is there, and that was a great Anna. That
1: you analyze that perfectly. Because once you to learn to take responsibility for yourself and have these particular personal habits, you'll learn how to take good care of your contacts, wearing them exactly. every day. Because it is you have to take care of those contacts and how to apply them, how to keep them clean. I've had a lot of the doctors on as guests. That one particular doctor said too that if a teenager's been wearing contacts poorly and not taking care of them, because this could tear the cornea, uh, the tissues, and then they want to go on and have LASIK, or they're wondering why they're so irritable and drowsy and have a lot of allergies is because they're wear- they're not uh, healthy about how they're taking care of their contacts right. that wear of them. Emphasize a little bit on that again because even adults, and I mean, you can have an adult who's very successful at uh, all of their lives, but maybe their one weakness is how they take care of their contacts.
2: Well, the, over the past year or two, there's been increasing incidence of fungus of the cornea. And okay. it turns out that most of the people that have had this fungus of the cornea, which can cause actual decrease in vision and even blindness. It's almost like um, a molding. Of it is. and A bacteri- very serious bacteria. Well, yeah. And what it... it what, it, what happens, they think now, are, is that the water has less treatment to it, which is good in some respects, but in other respects there isn't as much of the antifungal agents available um, or antibacterial agents. So people that don't keep their contacts pristinely clean are at increased risk, they have to keep their case clean. You know, you need to change out your water every day, the contact lens mm-hmm. solution every day. You don't leave the same solution in there, or pop your dirty lenses in there, and then mm-hmm. put them back on in the morning. You actually have to take your contacts out, you know, clean them. They say, now you need to go ahead and rub them. There's a no rub solution that they don't advocate anymore. And then you put them on clean eyes, when you take them out, you rub them again and put them in a clean contact case. So your contact case should have the solution dumped out after you take your contacts out and then left to air dry. And then, again, put clean solution in in the evening before you put your contacts back in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And then if you choose to have LASIK in the back of your mind someday, or always remember that was something that Dr. Marguerite McDonald, who's a friend of mine, said too on the show that... When you're, you've got to, If you're, if you ever plan on having LASIK, take very good care of your eyes, wearing your contacts. Right. Um, That people don't think that way. Isn't it amusing how it's interesting for all of us, all of our own little ideas and opinions of how we. Where we want to go with our lives and how we take care of ourselves, and we often think, "Well, if I guess, if I if I if I gain weight, I'll go have surgery. If I can't, if this doesn't work, I'll go do this. If
2: and I get sunburns often enough, I'll just have somebody treat me later." You
1: know? Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, Biologic Aqua is the founder of Save a Child's Life Foundation to recognize melanoma in children. You and uh, you're right about that. It's uh, starting out with a taking care of yourself, and that's one of the important easy listening of this show too, doctor, is reminding us ourselves and providing kind of a classroom of reminding uh, ourselves. I've been told a lot of doctors are listening uh, because they're, it's kind of easy listening and kind of reminding of different things that you might forget in your everyday thinking, even if you're in the medical field or in the layman field or who you are with your children. Oh my gosh! I almost forgot to tell my children about that. I should remind them again. And it's it's not boring. It's it's the what's it makes a healthier life and a longer living life. Now you specialize. It sounds like in menopausal uh, people. Now is that in not only in women but in men too?
2: Well, I actually right. I see patients of all ages, but it, I tend to have a lot of dry eye referrals, and many of them happen to be you know thirty five and up. Um, mm-hmm. people that have the dry eye symptoms and it's not just menopausal women um, that have dry eyes it's, as you said men can have dry eye men that are at high risk are those that are on um, you know c- medication for prostate cancer for instance where they're having mm-hmm. their hormones suppressed and they can get bone dry eyes but um, even young people even younger women in particular like from the age of 30 to 40, even though they don't feel that they're all menopausal, may actually be perimenopausal, where their hormones are changing and um, they can start having dry eye. Interestingly, women on birth control pills and women on hormone replacement therapy can have drier eyes than women that are not on um, hormone replacement or hormone therapy. So there's a lot of people out there that that may have dry eyes. I think part of the reason we hear more about it now is because it's not just considered a histrionic symptom. You know, it's, it's, it's a known entity. We know it's causing inflammation of the eye. If someone has irritation of the eye um, while they're trying to read or if they're trying mm-hmm. to drive or whenever they go out in a breezy situation, they probably have unhealthy tears and, and they probably need some awareness of it so they can seek treatment. Now many of our doctors and companies that I deal with, uh,
1: as you know, nature's tears IMIS is on the shelf for it's the only all natural environment personal empowerment for your environment to apply as often as you wish during the day. But a lot of companies and the doctors have said that people are over applying Wedding agents, or let's call them eye drops, or whatever it may be, what have your concerns been about over applying? Because if a person's irritable all day long, you, you, they get a feel, an attitude like, "What harm could it do? I feel so bad already." What yeah. is your advice on that?
2: I think that people get into trouble when they start using wedding um, solution from their contact lens kit or artificial tears that have preservatives in them more than a couple, three, four times a day because. When those drops have preservatives, they actually can get—they can actually get toxicity from the preservatives. So even those. When we
1: come back, we're going to take a moment with our sponsor. Right. But when we come back, let's let's talk about that because a lot of people today are, are over applying, and that causes also a lot of anxiety and dehydration. And uh, let's—and then you pick out something that you want to make sure the listeners are going to learn from you. Okay. Okay, we'll be right back. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you.
1: Listen.
0: Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.
1: To Dr. Barber today, and one of her specialties has been, as an ophthalmologist, the dry eye. And, Dr. It's one of my favorite uh, subjects with health symptoms and concerns. Uh, People get drowsy, irritable. Uh, Dr. One of the doctors we've had on was Dr. Scott Jens, who heads the for Johnson and Johnson research in children and vision and infants and vision and. He, the concerns he had from the moment they were born, they didn't under, have the education from that infant on what to be uh, concerned about uh, the, the baby and dilating and vision and irritability to the eyes and not recognizing that uh, the doctor and stop and think about it. Um, that when you're first born and you're you're looking at the, the life in front of you, your family and parents. That maybe you really think you're hearing through the eyes, you don't know you have ears. Yeah. And he met, we mentioned, uh, I know, isn't it fascinating to think? Because when he was talking, doctor, I said, you know, doctor, I said, when that baby's born, they have no idea it's not the eyes that are hearing all of that, mm-hmm. and the, your life is begin with your vision and the response to your vision is so important to you. So we got into anxiety and stress and attitude and futures and, and he made the comment. He said our prisons are full of people that wasn't caught in time of, of what has happened here with the health of the eyes and your dedication and mission, doctor, is you sound very concerned and in giving your life to this, as I've said to the, everyone, uh, and the, what they're doing is your eyesight has not had enough education. And we found that people think that you couldn't harm your eyes if they're feeling that they're irritable or dry or they don't even you know the word dry. Uh, they say uncomfortable, that the more you apply the eye drop or those, the wetting agents that are chemicals that are not nature to the eye, would do no harm because you already feel so bad already. And we've had doctors, and you can disagree with them or me or not, that the eyes can become addicted to that.
2: I I have wondered that myself. I don't know that there's um, research that shows that some of the agents and some of the drops may actually make you need more drops, kind of like some of the mouth lubricants can, Um, some of the Agents in, in hand lotions can. But I think we've been very fortunately created um, that most of the time, m- most people don't have problems with their eyes being irritated. I mean, the tears that we have are amazing and able in their ability to prevent infections and their ability to wash away insulting agents. Um, and that there's a hand, you know, Maybe 12%, maybe 14% of patients, as they get older, will have irritation of their eyes. Now, is there, can our listeners here, is uh, is there a particular
1: test that a person can go in and think, you know, I'm drowsy too commonly, I'm irritable too commonly, um, I've had allergies more commonly, I've never had an allergy before in my life, and all of a sudden we have an allergy or more flus
2: or more virus? Is there a particular test they can request from the doctor to have an eye test for dry eye? Well, if you're having dry eye, I think you're going to know that your eyes themselves are irritated. It's not just a, a amorphous symptom that's going to be caused from dry eye. I mean, those uh-huh. people that have dry eye can tell you, my eyes hurt. You know, I'm, I've got foreign body sensation, I've got burning, I've got... Itching, I've got blurring of vision. So it's going to be directed to the eye. If they have symptoms that are eye-directed like that, then yes, you, you see your ophthalmologist, your IMD, and you have them evaluate your eyes. Or is your vision down? Do you Now, can an optometrist give that uh, test also? Let's say
1: they haven't gone to an ophthalmologist, but they've been going to an optometrist, uh-huh. and they're wearing contacts and glasses. Could the, uh, does the optometrist have testing for dry eyes?
2: They should be able to do a Schirmer's test as well. What we do is put, as an ophthalmologist, I am um, trained Mm -hmm. to put Mm -hmm. little strips of filter paper that will allow uh, us to evaluate how much tears are being made over a five-minute period of time, for instance. We also look at the tear meniscus or the tear film. We look at the corneal surface to see if there's staining or um, damage to the ocular surface. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we, we also, as physicians that have gone to medical school, make sure we evaluate the whole eye, talk to the patient about their whole health, and make sure that there's not something in the back of the eye that might be also causing them problems. You just brought up a subject that's fascinating because part of my research team, we have optic plastics and uh, the
1: skin around the eye. Right. You just brought up something there. Say something, to, uh, mention something to our listeners about the skin around the eye, the skin of the eyelid, the skin around the eye, is there any education you can provide for them there because a lot of people don't recognize, think about the skin maybe having an
2: influence around the eye. Well, interestingly, the very lid margin is very critical for the tear film, particularly. And mm-hmm. if your lid margin is irritated, if your tear glands aren't functioning properly, if you put too much makeup too close to the eye. Or the sun, the or sun the can sun cause damage, damage to the skin, eyelid. Damage the eyelid and the eye surface. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things can cause problems with the eye, just as it does to the rest of the skin. Um, there are skin it's cancers, cancers that on the eyelid. Um, mm-hmm so it it's a very integral part of your whole eye complex but the I think the important thing to take home with if you're having symptoms of eye irritation or you you know you know your eye is there because it's not comfortable or it's not just doing what it's supposed to be doing, then it's time to see your your in my case medical doctor i've i m d um optometrists can also evaluate the eye and if they feel like the eye is dry. They might recommend artificial tears, you know, with or without preservatives, but not with preservatives more than a couple, three times a day. And then they might, if that doesn't work, go on and there's some prescription medication that might be helpful, decrease inflammation. Um, there's a but I, wise not to over-apply? Now, uh, what about? Do you, I'm sure you recommend
1: to your patients drink a, a lot of water because a lot of people are drinking more. Uh, more commonly today, uh, vitamin drinks with supplements in them, uh, sugar uh, pr- uh, drinks with diet drinks or sodas or uh, juices with sugar. Uh, what is some of your advice to you,
2: uh, the listeners on their diet? Well, I, I do talk about hydration, I also talk about healthy diets. Do they have are they eating green leafy vegetables and fruits? Are, have they thought about omega-3s, for instance? Even though there's not a whole, lot of scientific testing going on, there has there have been some um, tests that show that omega-3s are important in decreasing inflammation in our body. So if you eat... Going down the dehydration, moisture loss, yeah. Right, and, and omega-3s can be helpful for decreasing inflammation. So mm-hmm. maybe if you eat salmon or tuna or sardines, or supplement if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other things they can do that are just things that, you, you know, as you go through life, wearing sunglasses and UV protection when you're outside, wearing protective goggles at all times when you're doing anything with um, machinery or, or hammering mm-hmm. or playing sports. You know, now, you that... just brought up a fascinating subject that we've never done on the
1: show that we've got to do sometime, occupational health in your eyes. Oh, yeah. Um, you... We were just a guest at one of the major biggest corporations in the world, and uh, they were showing us around the building about the occupational health hazards for the eyes, that they had billions of dollars with a time lost through the years uh, in the economy because of eye uh, not enough education for your vision and occupational health, even in m- manufacturing, working every day in, a, in the office uh, with a computer now, and maybe the ventilation isn't healthy because of the forced air heating and cooling, insulated windows and walls, and they've never had e- occupational health and eye education. Very good. You lose. T- yeah, your your productivity. Uh, Ronald M. Cowan wrote a book once. Uh, wh- wh- he was a graduate of Horton and became part of the conference board, but he wrote a book on your concerns of of, of human resource and that human resource all over the world with your, your health. Well, now we're finding that vision was overlooked and it could be a lot of the problems of loss of time and expense to both the corporate company and you, the personal is not enough visional, vision health for the occupational needs. You brought up a
2: great one there. So the goggles. People take advantage of their take for granted their vision until something happens to their eyes or to we do, don't we?
1: Oh.
2: And there's the eye is almost a little brain in, in and of itself. It's actually an extension of the brain, so it should be. Well, uh, the doctors have said, like you just said, that uh, one of the doctors said that when you're in the womb and your eyes begin to form, the the eyes are connected to the brain immediately. Well, they actually and, and they do the go together. They're an extension of the brain. They have neuro-tissue. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, what about sleep, rest? Rest is very important, obviously. the I think especially when it was kind of the fad to wear extended contact lenses or all-night contacts, that people were not allowing their eyes to have a normal environment at any point of the day. Um, so I, I discourage my patients from wearing contacts. While they sleep, I think the eye needs rest. I think you know that needs to breathe or, oxygen. <laughs> right. I think they need it needs oxygen. It needs normal, healthy tears, and um, I think rest, of course, is important for us to function well anyway. But um, the eye itself needs healthy tears. If we don't have healthy tears, we have eye irritation. We might not be able to do our work properly. Um, mm-hmm. If you have eye irritation, it's worth seeing your eye physician. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like the artificial tears are not going to be beneficial, there are there is at least one medication out there now that we've researched, and other medications in the pipeline that can help mm-hmm. make your tears healthy again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh,
1: what about? But let's say some individuals are listening that are our truck drivers and people that are uh, in a car with their occupations traveling con- all the time, and and they get drowsy and. Uh, at the wheel, we've heard that a lot of motorcycle riders uh, uh, that are found a recreation that they're on a motorcycle and they get drowsy or their eyes get blurry and 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 they're not they're not thinking uh, of how to take care of their eyes before they go to do a, a long ride. Let's say on a motorcycle, a vehicle, or a truck. Uh, do you get very many people in there, for their truck drivers, or spend a lot of time in a vehicle? that
2: probably have just as many complaints as anyone else. Right. You know, again, they're doing that staring thing. When they're tired, you know, they haven't gotten enough sleep, or maybe they're, you know, they're used to a lot of caffeine and they don't have enough caffeine, that um, they do start staring and their eyes start drying out. Mm -hmm. So if there are are patients of mine that have that problem, we talk about pre-treating before you drive, you know, making Mm -hmm. sure you have good glasses. If you're a motorcycle rider, you should be wearing a helmet and goggles. Um, and truck drivers should have their best correction, you know, of glasses on or or contacts Mm -hmm. if they're comfortable wearing contacts, and that they should be ahead of the game. If they start feeling dryness, they should pre-treat with, you know, a good preservative-free artificial tears or medication if they're to that point. Now, uh, we have just a few moments left.
1: What would you like to say to our listeners about the computer? What's the education about the computer? If somebody who sits on a computer more than let's say three to four hours
2: a day, what's the education there? When when you're sitting at the computer you're doing what we used to do with open books or newspapers. We we don't tend to sit and read as as concentrated as we do when we sit at the computer. So you need to remember to blink. You need to remember to give yourself some visual rest where you actually close your eyes every, you know, 20 minutes or so. And tell your boss that that's because your eyes are dry if you need to. Think about whether a vent is blowing on you, which could be drying your eyes okay. even more so. Okay. Your computer can sit down a little bit rather than sitting too far up. If you sit it down, your eyes close a little bit more than if you sit it up, and that protects you. know, your we had, uh, excuse me for interrupting, uh,
1: Dr. Robert Lankaney, who's written the Dry Eye Remedy, has been our guest a few times. And he had mentioned something you just said, have your chair a little higher uh, then and you're looking down where the eyelid is uh, over your eyes. The Mm -hmm. eyelid is closed a little bit more and you're looking down at your computer rather than looking straight across or up.
2: People have no idea
1: that that makes sense. That's it. Less evaporative. That is it. And like you said, close your eyes every once in a while as you're working. Nobody even needs to be knowing it. You just all of a sudden close your eyes, take a moment of a rest, count to 10 or 20, and then open up again so then you can put a, close the moisture and trap that moisture into the eye uh, commonly to give them a rest. Well, and women in menopause now, real quickly, um, what is the key that you have found for them? What is something you found that they didn't think about getting ready for the menopause? Those, yeah, those heat flashes, uh, we have a lot of people uh, that use Nature's Erythymus because of that. Uh, of course, um, what are you thinking, what are you saying to the women when those hot flashes begin because of menopause and change? uh what 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 some of the things they should be thinking about very quickly uh to maybe decrease the hot flashes a little bit to help the eyes because
2: that's a, causing a very serious
1: dehydration
2: well, i think that people are need to be aware of drinking good good water exercise helps hot flashes um rest helps you know you maintain get on, stay on your top edge Staying in cooler environments, you can talk to my husband about how cold my house is in the winter. And Oh, good for you. <laughs> taking off, you know, layering clothes so you can you know, throw my lab coat off on the back of the chair when need be. But if a patient has problems enough that their eye is giving them problems so they can't function well, I would take the next step and will prescribe them a medication, which is a cyclosporin drop for their eye. Um, Real quickly before we, you said something about the
1: exercise, have you noticed that people that have a lot of anxiety over-exercise? And that causes another problem because if you're over-exercising, like pounding down the road uh, on pavement with like a run that you have to do to, to reduce the anxiety or stress, That is also a little over over exercise. Are you of an opinion that people need to more moderately exercise
2: when they're dehydrating that much during menopause? I'm a I'm a moderate exerciser myself. Good good good. good. Marathon back when I was maybe 23 or 4. But um, they I think that if you walk, you know, several steps a day, you are better off than if you sit a lot. I think mm-hmm. if you can increase your, you know, walking, park further away from the building for heaven's sakes, or um, walk up and down. Exactly. Take the steps instead of the elevator
1: once in a while.
2: Exactly. So I think yeah. that you can moderately exercise. You can swim. You know, you can cycle. There's many things mm-hmm. you can do rather than pounding the pavement. Before we close, uh, what did you think of what uh, uh, Michael Phelps did, our swimmer from the United States of America, this last weekend? He's amazing, breaking all those records. Swimmers. So we watched him, and I I thought about his eyes when his goggles leaked. I did too. (laughs) I did too. Yeah, that's not that chlorine water is
1: not good for your eyeballs. No, but he had to do it. His mother said too. He was blind coming to, to get to those walls to make his turns. But he did it, very disciplined, and obviously wants to take very good care of his health because they were emphasizing his health all through the meat of how healthy he is and how he eats and how he sleeps and how he's dog. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us and giving us this special education. I know how busy you are. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I hope we can have you again sometime. If you have a a subject that you think we missed, uh, please let us know, and I hope to have you again sometime. Well, I appreciate your invitation and take care. You, too. Have a nice day. Bye. Well, you learned a lot about your vision because your vision is your health and your health is your life. And I have a strong commitment that if you have healthy eyes and you work on healthy eyes, you'll have better habits every day to take, eat those green vegetables, drink abundant amount of good water, nothing in it, not the tea in it, Not the coffee in it, not the sugar in it, no supplements, just plain good old lots of water. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, and our second guest today, we're going to go uh, back to the National Forest in Nevada at Lake Mead, and we're going to learn more about a particular mussel that we found so fascinating with Rebecca Jones uh, recently, a pronounced and I know I did this wrong so we're going to come back and you will learn more about muscles and I'm fascinated with this. We're going to listen to our sponsor Nature's Tears Eye Mist for dry eye just one application to add your own personal environment of moisture around the eye we'll listen to Nature's Tears Eye Mist we'll be right back
0: Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.
1: You're listening to the Sharon Climate Hour The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. And vision is vital, but the vision of our ecosystem, which is long term forever everlasting eternity, is very important with the nature of our Earth. And we're talking, going to be talking with Rebecca Jones. Are you with us, Rebecca?
3: Yes, I'm here.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate uh, your time. And I wanted to first to tell us a little bit about you and how you became a park ranger and when.
3: Well, I became a park ranger as soon as I graduated from college in 2003. It was my first job out of college. And I started at Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona, and I worked there for two years. I worked three summers at Yosemite National Park in California, mm-hmm. and I worked last winter at Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument in Arizona, and now I'm happy to be at Lake Mead here in Nevada. All
1: right. And before we go on to your educating us about Lake Mead and um, the muscle. Uh, Mussels. There, are all let you pronounce the name. What did you, you? Did you hear about the Grand Canyon? I think it's flooding today.
3: I did not hear about that.
1: Yeah, we I heard. Uh, we heard that they're having. Um, uh, now, I could be wrong, but they were saying in the Grand Canyon they were having uh, some different high water because of some different circumstances. And I won't go any further because you didn't hear about it. So we'll bring that on to a show again. Uh, because that's got an enormous amount of people that are there. And uh, it may have been, uh, like, uh, lightning storms or something happening that was very unusual. Um, Tell us about Lake Mead.
3: Well, Lake Mead is a national recreation area 35 miles east of Las Vegas, Nevada, and we receive about 8 million visitors a year here who come primarily for Water sports to go boating, to go fishing or swimming and kind of escape some of the desert heat here.
1: Okay, what are they doing today? Let's say out there on the lake today, what is the what is the most popular recreation they come there for?
3: Oh, by far boating. Boating, boating. is by far can the And can they popular. do
1: sailboating?
3: Yes, they can use sailboats, they can use personal watercraft such as a sea dew or they can use a kayak or a canoe if they wanted to just about any kind of boat that, that you could bring now, over is
1: there a section is there way. a section where they could go fishing cuz the other boats might be bothering the fish but uh, for fishing can they go fishing like in the early morning or at night is there some fishing there too right now
3: there is pretty good fishing people come here for trout and also for striped bass which we have pretty large okay. bass uh-huh hmm. and, Okay. and, and what's you, the temperature Oh, What's your temperature our, there today? Our temperature today here is well over 100. I think we're closing in on 110, and the water temperature in the lake is 87 degrees. So it's kind of like okay. being in a bathtub.
1: Okay. Oh, my goodness, because it's almost like a mirage. You're out in a desert.
3: Exactly.
1: A lot of people don't think of that, desert, mirage. In other words, can you imagine the person who founded that lake? They probably were coming along and surprised there was this mirage of water out there. Now, you wanted to discuss today, and you're going to have to teach us how to pronounce the muscle, the name of the muscle.
3: The name of the muscle is a quagga muscle. It's spelled a q u a g g a, quagga. You pronounce it a quagga? Yep, quagga. 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 That's correct.
1: Okay, now tell us what how unusual of a species that is.
3: Well, it is an invasive species to North America. It's just a small freshwater mollusk that it can grow up to about two inches in size, and they're pretty easy to spot because they have a zebra-like pattern on their shells, and they have visceral threads, which. These are just basically threads that allow them to attach to hard surfaces, and no other, no other freshwater mollusk in North America that's native to North America has those threads. So if you see uh, a shelled little mollusk attached to something, you know it's probably an invasive species.
1: Okay, so describe it again so people, if they're out now, would they see that in other streams, or is this more dominantly in Lake Mead?
3: Well, they actually arrived in the United States in 1989. Uh, their cousin, the zebra mussel, who looks very similar, arrived No, I'm going
1: to stop you that. for a second. They arrived in the United States, the Quagua mussel. How did it arrive here?
3: Well, it was an accident. They were brought over in the ballast water of shipping boats from from basically the Black Sea area in Ukraine. So they were connected,
1: connected, like you said, they were connected to the shipping boat on the outside of the shipping boat?
3: Well, probably not on the outside. They were probably inside the boats, in the ballast water of the boats, and the young mussels don't have shells yet, and they just float in the water. And so they were probably just floating in this ballast water, and when it was released into the Great Lakes, they were released. And that, that was an accident. It, nobody realized that was occurring at the time. But it's had quite a big impact ever since then.
1: Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this again because that was so fascinating. Now, we found that they could come over. It, it obviously came over in boats. And, and the what kind of water?
3: Well, it's the water basically that's carried on the inside of the boat. That... The water
1: that's carried on the inside of the boat. Where would that be carried on the inside of the boat?
3: It's at the bottom of the boat it's in the it's called the ballast. It's kind of like a holding area in the boat,
1: okay, okay, and is that for them to put through filter systems to drink, or is
3: that's just there? I'm not really sure why there's water in the ballast okay
1: because yeah. <laughs> i i I'm sorry we' we'll, we'll get into that one again sometime. but then when you said they got into the water in Lake Mead. And that we know that those size of boats, they're not on Lake Mead,
3: are they? They're not. In fact, these these mussels were brought over in the 1980s to the Great Lakes. We didn't find them here at Lake Mead in Nevada until early January 2007. And oh, so my they, goodness. Okay. So yeah, We have about 20 years that they were in, spreading throughout the east coast of the United States and through the Midwest. Um, before they reached us out here, and it was probably a similar situation, um, but instead of a large shipping boat that brought it over, it was probably somebody's personal recreational boat that had some water in their bilge, which is kind of like a ballast. It's, uh-huh. I think it's used to help balance the boat as it's floating, and if they didn't drain that entirely and, and set it out in this new lake and that water escaped with the young mussels in it, uh huh. Then they were introduced to the lake that way.
1: Okay. Now, uh, and when are they on the edges of the lake and down all around in the lake, uh, or in the streams coming feeding to the lake? Where would you most commonly see them?
3: They are throughout the lake. The young uh-huh. mussels, the young ones, they don't have shells yet, and they just free okay. float in the water. And okay. so they, they can be found anywhere up to three hundred feet deep. In the water, floating, the mature mussels they attach to a hard surface. So you would find them, say you were on a marina and you were under the. If you looked under the marina, you would find them attached. I'm going to ask
1: you real quickly: uh, How deep is the lake?
3: At its deepest point, when the lake is at its fullest level, it's around 650 feet deep. Right now. Right now, we're not that deep. We're about half full right now. Now, let's say your lake now, the
1: tributary to the lake, comes from Colorado.
3: That's correct. Our main water source is the Colorado River, which does now, come from that the
1: to me, that deep, was it ever a volcano crater? How did it get that deep, the depth of, of the, to the bottom?
3: Well, because when the dam was built, it was built in a very narrow river canyon, the Black Canyon. And okay. it filled up. It filled up.
1: So Lake Mead is a man-made le-
3: lake. It is a man-made lake. The dam was and built. It's, uh, and, and it is. Uh, and,
1: and do you? Have, is it a dam or just a water reservoir, or is it a dam that flows and the water leaves there and flows to somewhere else into a tributaries?
3: Well, it's held back by the Hoover Dam, and so okay, water the Yep, the Hoover Dam. Okay,
1: okay. So the, it, Lake Mead is the is the lake that is held back by the Hoover Dam. And the Hoover. Where does the what? Where does the Hoover? I'm sorry, the Hoover Dam. What does it supply? What where, what states does it? Where does it go to? Is it just Nevada, or does it go someplace else also?
3: The water in Lake Mead is supplied to Arizona. It is supplied to California. Okay. Nevada and also we send a share down to Mexico because they also are along the Colorado River system.
1: Okay. Uh, now back to the muscle. Now isn't it fascinating that I've had the head of the Forest Service in Hawaii and the Hawaiian Islands and when we have to think as human and you're looking at a bush or you're looking at a bird or you're looking at a species. You, you, you almost take it for granted that it's something at that spot developed there, like you were born where you were born. Um, but what you were telling us today is this mussel was just founded to be in Lake Mead not that long ago, although it was being studied in the East Coast and other lakes. But you believe that those mussels came from boats from around the world that came in from water from inside the boat. Uh, boat, isn't isn't it fascinating how we look at something of a species and we just are, uh, believe that it is always there. It's like the blackberry bush or the birds of the Hawaiian Islands. And the the uh, one of the rangers over there said, uh, Rebecca, that the, uh, the the all the. Forest and everything there was brought in by seeds of birds from all over the world way back in time that they just didn't originate there
3: all by themselves. Isn't that fascinating? It is, and it also leads to the idea that, you know, people, some people like, at first, they like this quagga mussel because they can filter out so much plankton in the water that it actually makes the water in the lake more clear, so people can cleaner, cleaner to them, you can see the fish more easily, and so people like this quagga mussel at first, but what they don't realize are the damaging effects this invasive species can have on our lakes here in the United States.
1: So Um, what's the damaging effect?
3: Well, we're concerned primarily with three effects. First of all, that they disrupt the ecological balance of the river system, they cause a great amount of damage which increased the cost of infrastructure such as the dam itself. And they also cause economic impact on water related recreation.
1: And so now, I I've almost lost you because they do filter the water, but yet they cause an impact because they're they're becoming too dominating. they're dominating there's too many too many muscles.
3: That's exactly what what's happening is they, they filter one little muscle, and imagine this thing's only about two inches long. It's, it's not even as big as your finger. One little tiny muscle can filter a, a quart of water a day. And we estimate that we have 650 billion of these muscles here in the uh, lake.
1: Now, is there, uh, if they're doing something to, let's ca- say, cause a problem to the system there, your nature of your system there, of like meat. Could you have, is there there an open recreation to go mussel hunting and get the mussels? Do they have a meat in them, like mussels that I know
3: about? Is there a meat in there? There is a meat in there, but they're not very palatable. They're They're not for eating. Okay. They're not for eating. They, uh... And in so, fact, wait, not, wait, real quickly, we've only got a little time. Uh, what do you? What is your? Uh, what is your
1: park system doing uh, to potentially decrease the mussel uh, problem there?
3: Well, right now we don't know of any economically feasible ways to decrease or remove the mussels out of our lakes. So, what we're focusing mm-hmm. on is preventing them from spreading to other western lakes. Uh, Lake Powell doesn't have them, Lake Tahoe doesn't have them, and so we're spending a lot of our time educating the people who boat here on how to clean, drain, and dry their equipment so that those mussels don't get spread to others who are not yet infested.
1: So now where would they go real quickly, to what website, to learn more about how to take better care of their gear and all, not to spread that uh, problem there? Is there a, a website you would like us to go to?
3: Yes, there's a great website for that. It is called the, uh, let me look it up here for you, 100th Meridian. And that would be at www. Oh, my gosh, why can't I find it all of a sudden?
1: Why don't we post that for you? Because I'm sorry, we have to go. Um, but we'll po- you email us and we'll post that for you.
3: That sounds great. Well, thank you okay,
1: for having well, me well, you today. have a nice day, and thank you for giving us your time and tell everyone we've said hello. And have a wonderful summer. What's left?
3: Thank you. Have a great day, ma'am.
1: Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Well, Earth does have a secret, but I must tell the world, listening, that in developing countries around the world... There are people, women and children, spending an average of six hours a day carrying water to to live at home. They don't have Lake Mead and other reservoirs. That means they don't have the sanitation. 6,000 children are dying every day because of unsafe water and poor conditions. And by the way, the air is dry, the eyes are dry, and every five seconds somebody is going blind and getting worse. So let's help each other and pay it forward and think about the long-term future of the Earth and what's best for all. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye, and I know you'll take care of this Earth because you're not going to say goodbye. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.
0: Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.